I am just thrilled to be here, and I'm glad you're here. I have to say something. I, I don't know. I hope most of you, many of you, were in the deacon ordination at 1030. I was just thrilled to see this whole front packed with all of those people supporting you men and women that ever were ordained as deacons. Scott had invited family, friends, and I didn't know how many people were going to be here. I was going to step up, but I couldn't even get out of my seat. There were so many people coming forward, and it was just such a blessed time. So I'm so thankful for all of you men and women who serve as deacons, and I am so thankful for those that are brand-new deacons, and we are already praying deeply for you and all of us and our church here at King's Grant. So God is in charge, and he knows what we are doing, good and bad, and we're going to do everything we can to do good, okay? That's, that's the theme. Now, as I begin my thoughts with you today, uh, we need to go back and say a couple of things about some things that I've already said to you. Now, please remember that I like to repeat things because it's good for me. I know you all get it on the first shot, right? You, you remember everything that we teach and say, and, but I need this repetition. So I need to say to you one more time that you should not be a spectator in the Christian life or in church life. This whole business of being a Christian is not a spectator sport because when you're a spectator, you sit on the sidelines and you do little or nothing except watch. Well, that's not what we're to do when we follow Jesus Christ. We are to serve. Now, also remember that I've given you three words that you don't like and sometimes I don't like them. Well, sometimes you do when you're following the Lord because those three words are submission, sacrifice and surrender all s words and it's hard sometimes when we live in our humanness to sacrifice submit and surrender because you and i are selfish we want to do it our own way right and to those three words are doing it another way we sacrifice submit and surrender to almighty god and his will and he knows more than you and i do now, today, with those three words, I'm very glad, but I'm sorry, because I'm going to add a fourth word <laughs> that may not be a favorite of yours at all times. And it also is another S word. And it is serving. We are to be servants to the Lord, to his church, and to each other. And that is part of the whole deacon ordination. That's part of the deacons. But that's part of all of us. And that's what I want to talk to you about. And we must talk about that. Because Jesus Christ, our Lord, led the way. Please remember that he said about himself. He said... The Son of Man came here not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom of many. 
Now that was Jesus himself speaking about himself. He said that I didn't come here for you to serve me. I came here to serve you. And then he illustrated that by saying that I'm going to give my life, which can you think of any more service than the cross and the fact that Jesus went there willingly for you and me? And then in Philippians, the second chapter, we see that again referred to when the writer of Philippians says that Jesus made himself nothing and took on the nature, the role of a servant. And then he humbled himself and was obedient to death, even death on the cross. So, we are supposed to follow the example of Jesus Christ in servanthood. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. That's what I want to encourage you on. That's what I want for me and for you, for us to submit ourselves to the whole concept of serving the Lord, serving his church, and serving each other. Now, you might say to me, well, Pastor Don, wait a second. You're talking about Jesus and all this wonderful sacrifice and service that he gave, but he was God. Uh, God can do anything. I'm just an ordinary man or woman. I'm just an ordinary person, which we are. You are. I am. There's nothing absolutely special about us except we have Jesus Christ in our life, which is very, very special. But we're just ordinary people. So how can I do all this service that we're talking about? Well, these deacons that were ordained 2,000 years ago, the seven men that the church chose, and we're going to talk today about two of those very emphatically. We're going to tell the story. I'm going to tell you the story of Stephen and Philip. They were just ordinary men. They were just ordinary people, just like you and me. Nothing special except that they had embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ and had submitted themselves to God's will in and through that. And then that they became righteous and special human beings. And I'm going to tell you this story, and it is a dramatic story. It is an emphatic story. To be real honest, it's an exciting story. In many ways, it is a sad story, and in the main way, it is a victorious story. And so you join me as we think about Stephen for just a minute. Scripture has told us already that Stephen was a man full of grace and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a really good statement because you and I have a filling of the Holy Spirit because we have Jesus Christ in our life. Now, you may not know that, you may not operate in that, you may not submit yourself to that, but that is a fact. And so here's Stephen. He's a man full of grace and the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say something else. It said he did wondrous things, miraculous signs among the people. And so we would have to take from that as an example, following Stephen, as you and I need to, that Stephen loved people. And he spent time with people, and he ministered to people, and he served people, and he taught people, and he did wondrous signs and miracles among the people, as you and I can and should through the Lord and whatever the Lord asks us to do. 
Now, Stephen also was the point of opposition, as is usually the case when you and I are doing something for the Lord. When we're following God's will and we're serving and we're being good Christians and we're being a good church family, there is most always opposition because Satan is alive and well. And Satan does not want us to serve. He does not want us to submit and sacrifice and do the things of God. And so here's Stephen, and he's being opposed by some, again, of the Jewish leaders. They were in Jerusalem, and the church was very active. It was growing, and people were believing. Even some of the rabbis and the priests of that time were accepting Christ and coming into the Christian way, as they called it back then. And Stephen was a part of all that. And now these Jewish leaders, particularly the, they were a part of what's called the Sanhedrin. They were opposing and they were arguing and they were debating with Stephen. But there's an interesting statement because it says in scriptures that as they debated, as Stephen shared with them, that these religious leaders, by the way, Please don't ever call me religious, okay? Uh, that, you know, there are a lot of people in this world, and back then there were a lot of people that are religious. I mean, I mentioned last week the religion of humanism, but that's not godly, okay? So, but these people back then, these were Jewish leaders, they were very religious. They followed all sorts of rules and regulations, and they were debating with Stephen, but it says that even in all of their knowledge that they could not debate effectively, argue effectively with the wisdom by which Stephen spoke. Is that because Stephen was a super intelligent man? I imagine he was above average intelligence or good intelligence. But no, the wisdom by which Stephen spoke was the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. It was God's spirit in his life, and he spoke based on those words. So this is part of Stephen. Now, as he is debating, as he's meeting this opposition, as he's talking to these religious leaders, it's interesting because Scripture tells us that when people looked at him and they saw his face, they saw that and him as the face of an angel. Wouldn't that be nice for people to say about you or me? To know that the Spirit of the Lord is shining through so beautifully that someone would look and say, that's the face of an angel. And that's what they said about Stephen. Now, super, in, in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, Stephen launches into a complete history up to that point, or at least a partial history, I need to say that, of God's work amongst his people. He goes all the way back to Abraham, and he follows Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Joseph, all the way up to Moses, and then he moves on up to, to Solomon and David. And But something happens right there. Now, he's been, which is another example for you and me, he's been speaking the history and the word of God, which is effective always when we share that. 
But something drastic happens right at this point in the story. There's a break. And it's a little hard to understand because Stephen has been talking about all this wonderful history, some difficult but mostly wonderful history of God's work amongst his people. And then suddenly Stephen launches into what we might call a blistering attack on these people that he's talking to, the Sanhedrin, these Jewish leaders. He is confronting them in a very emphatic, intense kind of way. Why did he stop and begin this confrontation? That's a question that has been debated. People don't totally know. The scriptures do not tell us. But there are a lot of people that know more than I, and I think this probably is the truth. Remember, this Sanhedrin were opposing Stephen. And a little bit later, that as this story goes on, they talk about the people in the Sanhedrin yelling at the top of their voices at this man of God, Stephen. I'm wondering, and many people have wondered, if as Stephen is talking about God's history, God's work, God's people, God's miracles, God's plan, I wonder if he's getting a lot of heckling, a lot of opposition from these people to whom he's speaking. I think there's every chance of that. They're yelling at him, or they're making crude and rude remarks, or they're speaking mainly ill, badly, of these things of God that Stephen is sharing with them. I think then Stephen just got angry, and he launched into not just emotion, he launched into the facts that the Jewish people, these Jewish leaders, these religious people, that they had persecuted all the prophets, that their forefathers had, had eliminated and even killed many of the prophets. And then he all, goes all the way down to the fact that this group of people that is sitting in front of him had killed, had murdered the Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Stephen is just hammering on these people. Now, I want to stop for a second. Because aren't we taught to be people of gentleness, of calmness? Aren't we supposed to not be confrontive? Now, you have been taught that maybe. And anger? Are you supposed to be angry? Does the Bible say, don't you dare be angry? No, it does not say that. The Bible says, be slow to be angry. And when you're angry, do not sin. I will tell you, every one of you in here and me, we have been, we do get, and we will get angry. It's a part of our human life. But I do believe in not sinning. Now, Stephen was not accusing them falsely. They had accused him falsely. That was part of their opposition. Now, he's not accusing them falsely. He's just speaking truth. He is confronting them. Now, how do you feel about confrontation? A lot of people don't like to confront. I don't want to confront. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to cause waves. Well, there are times, folks, where confrontation is necessary. 
Now, you know, I've been a, a, a therapist, a counselor for 50 years. I live with confrontation all day long. Now, not mean, not harsh. If you came to me for counseling, I would not beat you up. I would not fuss at you. But I would say, here is the truth. Here are things that you need to know and need to live by. And this is what Stephen is doing. Now, I'm going to tell you a quick word about me and my daughters. Now, I have two beautiful daughters. They're amazing mothers and wives and teachers and nurse. And, and I'd brag on them all day long. And I have loved them and they have loved me for their 53 and 50 years that they've been alive. And I'm proud of them deeply. Now, how does this deal in with confrontation? Well, several years ago, my daughters decided they knew what the middle initial of my name stood for. Now, does anybody know the middle initial in my name? No, Belinda, you heard me earlier. You, you, yeah, I'm not going to let you cheat. So, Does anybody know it? The middle initial is C. So my daughters years ago decided that the middle initial in my name stood for confrontation. Yeah, you can chuckle because even in the love that we shared, me and my daughters, they got a few confrontations. Not condemnation, but confrontations. And so there are times when it is important and necessary, done properly. And Stephen is doing that. He's speaking the truth. But the Sanhedrin didn't like that at all. And this story goes on because it says that when he confronted them with all of these truthful things, that they gnashed their teeth at him. And they began to yell at him at the top of their voices. And they dragged him out of the city. And because they considered him speaking blasphemy, they started to stone him. Stoning was designed to bring about what? Death. They weren't throwing little pebbles at him, folks. They were throwing rocks as big as softballs. And they were throwing it at his body and his head. A terrible, terrible, crucial way to die. And that is what they were doing to this man of God, Stephen. Because he had stood in strength on the truth of Almighty God. Which is an example to you and me. And as he is being stoned. He does two very powerful things that we need to remember because he says out loud, I can see the gates of heaven, heaven opened wide and I see the Son of Man, Jesus Christ himself, standing at the very right hand of Almighty God. Now I want you to think about that for a moment because that's a, a picture that Stephen had in his vision, in his sight, because he was a man full of grace and the Holy Spirit. And then the second thing he did as he is just about to die, he says, Father, do not hold this sin against these people. Does that sound familiar to you? Father, forgive them. 
for they do not know what they do. Here's Stephen actually echoing the example that Jesus Christ gave on the cross. Because Stephen, in all of his witness and all of his statements and all of his life, and even in his death, he witnessed to the power and the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, are you going to have to die as a servant like Stephen did? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even going to speculate on that. What I do know is that you and I are supposed to, under Scripture's guidance, we're supposed to die to ourselves. We're supposed to die to our own ways. We're supposed to die to the reality of Jesus Christ and God's will in our lives. It's not your call. It's God's call as a Christian. Remember, you and I are to follow the example of Jesus Christ. We're to be servants to the Lord, to his church, and to each other. Now we move on in the story to Philip, the second deacon that we're honoring here today. Now Philip was a man also of the Holy Spirit. All of these seven that were chosen were, had already proven themselves to be worthy and qualified to be leaders in the Jerusalem New Church. But we also know that when Stephen was stoned and died, the Bible tells us that that initiated or launched a persecution, a persecution of all the Christians, and it specifically says that many, almost all of the Christians, left Jerusalem and scattered across the known country at that time. Now, where did Philip go? Philip is this deacon, and he is now leaving Jerusalem. And where did he go? To Samaria. Now, I want to remind you, you remember that Samaritans... And the Jews did not get along. In fact, there was hatred between the two. And here again, we see the example of Jesus Christ coming into Philip's life as he goes to the country of Samaria to minister and to be an evangelist, to be a witness. Because what did Jesus do? In the fourth chapter of John, it tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, no Jews went through Samaria during that day. They went around Samaria. They may have been traveling from the north to the south, which would have taken them right through the middle of Samaria, but they bypassed because no Jews and no Samarians connected or, or, or encountered each other. And so in 4th chapter of John, it says Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why did he have to go to Samaria? Because he knew that there was a Samaritan woman there that needed his love, care, and forgiveness. And he had to go to Samaria. Well, now here we have Philip, this deacon, who's leaving Jerusalem. And he goes to Samaria. Even with the hatred and the bad relationships that are there. Now, what does Philip do in Samaria? We're told that he preaches, that he does miraculous signs, that he heals people. And that the multitudes gather around. Now remember they're Samaritans. They don't like Jews. 
And here's this Jewish man that's come into their town to preach, to teach them how to live, and to teach them, yes, the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're told that multitudes gathered around Philip. So Philip is having success right there in Samaria. He's ministering to people. He's reaching people. People are being saved. People are being healed. Evil spirits are being cast out. And so Philip is having a success. And the scriptures tell us, and there was joy in all of the town. Why was there joy? Because now the giver of joy had entered this area, Jesus Christ, through the ministry of this deacon, this ordinary man named Philip. As if you and I serve in a proper way, and I'm not just talking to deacons, I'm talking to everybody, all of us sitting in this room, because we are to serve in that way, and that will bring, it will bring joy. I have, I have great joy having the privilege of even sitting here sharing God's truth with all of you. Now, Philip was there in Samaria, and he was successful, a joyful experience with all these people. But what did God say to Philip? What did God do? He said, Philip, you got to leave. <laughs> Scriptures tell us that God told Philip to leave Samaria and go out into the desert on the desert road. And Philip obeyed. Now, Let's take this personally, folks. Sometimes God tells you to go. Now, he may tell you to stay also, but it's sometimes he tells you to go. Or he may tell you to go out of your comfort zone and teach a Bible study class. Or go out of your comfort zone and witness to your neighbor. Or go out of your comfort zone and sing a song. Or go out of your comfort zone and serve somewhere in King's Grand Baptist Church. Or he may also, and I speak from experience, he may tell you to go someplace else and serve. Now, we don't want to lose any of you, I promise you that. But that's God's call, not mine, not Scott's. He may tell you to go. Now, I will speak from personal experience. Back in April or May, of this past year, I wasn't planning on coming to King's Grand Baptist Church. Not because I don't like you or anything, but I was with other Christians out in the Franklin Isle of Wight territory. I thought everything was rocking along. I was being a counselor and my private practice was counseling. And then some fellow named Scott Chafee called me and said, Don, our good pastor is leaving and would you please come and preach for us a few times? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that was, what, seven months ago I started with you folks. And I was, quote, the guest preacher for several months. And that was wonderful. And now you've asked me to be your interim pastor. And I'm afraid you're stuck with me for a while, folks. Because God told Don Solomon to go back to Virginia Beach. This is the fourth time I've been here, folks. I mean, that I've moved back into the city limits of Virginia Beach. 
which I will do this coming Friday and Saturday. Thank the Lord we have a place to live. Amen, yes. But God said for me to go. God tells for you to go. Now, do you ever sit there and say, No, God, I don't think I want to go there. Of course you do. As do I sometimes. But please remember, we're not just spectators in this game of Christianity. And we're under the leadership, the authority of Almighty God. And I'm so glad he told me to go to King's Grand Baptist Church. So please be submissive to what he tells you. And if he tells you to go, to do, to serve, he's got a wonderful purpose and a wonderful set of blessings for you to do that. And so now Philip is on the road. And who does Philip encounter? Here's Philip. He's just gone to Samaria in this, those broken relationships between Jews and Samaritans. Now he's going to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a man of royalty, a man of the queen's court, a very important man in the government of Ethiopia. But as far as I know, and I don't have certainty for this fact, but this Ethiopian eunuch was a black man. Do you understand what the lesson is here? Philip, this servant of God, has gone to Samaria and now is going to a black person because the gospel of Jesus Christ and the love of God is for all men and women, for everybody, regardless of background or color or anything else. And so now Philip is, is, is demonstrating that for you and me through God's ordination to, for him to go. And he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch. Now this, this man is a seeker, a searcher. Now I want to say a word about seeking and searching. Usually if somebody's searching or seeking something, that means that they don't totally know and there is a quandary, a confusion, a, a not knowing and they need to find out what the truth is. And so this Ethiopian is searching. And he's in a quandary of, of uncertainty. And now the Lord is going to use Philip because Philip has already been many times obedient in his servanthood to the Lord. And now Philip encounters the Ethiopian eunuch and the man is sitting there reading from the book of Isaiah and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go up and stay or sit in that chariot with that man. And Philip obeys and he goes and he sits and they travel and they talk and they're together. And the Ethiopian eunuch asks, because the Holy Spirit's already been dealing with this man from Ethiopia. And the man asks Philip, well now, is Isaiah talking to himself or to somebody else? And scripture tells us a wonderful statement. It says, with that question that the Holy Spirit put into the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip began to tell this man about the good news of Jesus Christ. Philip the evangelist began 
to share a spoken witness. Now, I want to say a word. I want to say a lot of words. <laughs> but this word here is because a lot of times if you ask somebody if they've witnessed to their neighbor or something of that sort, the response is, well, I haven't really talked to them, but I live a good life. I show them my witness by the way I live. And I'm kind, and, and I don't fuss at their children in the backyard. Now, I'm in favor of living a good life, and yes, we can certainly show the love of God through our lifestyle. But I'm really in favor of us speaking, telling a witness, speaking words of truth about the glory of God and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so here we see Philip speaking to this Ethiopian eunuch. And it is effective because the man believes. And then they're traveling down the road and Scripture tells us that the Ethiopian eunuch himself, he tells Philip, there's water. Would it be possible for me to be baptized? Hallelujah! This man has found his way. He is no longer searching. He's settled the issue. Now, as I move toward conclusion, I want to remind you of what Scripture says. It says that then the Ethiopian eunuch goes on rejoicing. Now, the way I will put it is the seeking and the searching, the quandary the questioning is over with and joy and peace and truth resides in this man. Do you understand the emphasis of all this? Do you understand that this is an example for you and I and our servanthood? Do you understand there may be somebody in this group right now that is searching like this man from Ethiopia was doing. If you're searching, then there is some uncertainty. The truth will set you free. The truth will settle the matter. A few years back, I had the privilege of sharing with a nine-year-old little fellow. His name was Elijah. Come from a, a wonderful Christian family in a church where I was pastor. And as Elijah sat in my office one day as I as the pastor talked to him because he wanted to let us know that he had accepted Christ into his life. I asked him how he felt and he said, Pastor Don, I know that it is settled. Isn't that a great statement? The searching is over with. The truth is there and it is settled. And for you and me, for you and your family, and yes, I want to declare this for King's Grand Baptist Church because we're searching. There are some struggles, but there is peace residing and things are happening in the Lord and there is goodness all about. And with all of that, the searching is beginning to be settled and peace 
resides because of God's settledness. I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. I want you to have that in your own life. Please pray with me right now. Father, we're so thankful. Goodness gracious, it is just such a joy to have these kind of stories, these kind of truths through your word that we can reflect on and we not only believe, but we know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these are your stories. These are your ways. These are provided for you and me that we can live according to you, Father. And we thank you so deeply for that. We pray earnestly that everybody in this room, all of us in our church, everybody in our church family, that we will be thinking about the settledness of the truth of Jesus Christ. That we will be committed to serving you and serving each other, serving your church. Father, we pray earnestly that we will be even more and more and more the people that you want us to be. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the invitation for us to live according to your ways and according to your will. I know, I know, I know, I know that you will bless us with joy in this subtleness. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.